maybe that's a way to help more women break into VC as well, is just get them exposed as early as possible. I'm Tamina, and I'm extending a heartfelt invitation to you as we join forces in reclaiming economic power for women in a world that is often structured against us. We'll dive into the minds of accomplished female leaders, investors, and entrepreneurs to equip you with the confidence and knowledge to build wealth for yourself and other women. So buckle up, get ready to learn, and be inspired to take action. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to not one, but two fellow podcasters. And when I decided to launch this show, I immediately knew that I wanted the two of them to be my guests. I'm talking about the founders and hosts of the Women in Venture Capital podcast, Prashvina Rajaram and Anvita Dekane. Anvita is a product manager at global automation software company UiPath. She graduated from Harvard Business School in May of 2022, where she was working part-time with B2B-focused early-stage fund Asymmetric Capital Partners. She has previously worked closely with Pair VC and Lara Hippo in 2020 and 2021. After her graduation from IIT Bombay, she worked at BCG on digital transformation and cost-cutting projects. Transitioning to Sequoia Capital from there, she invested in tech-enabled consumer goods and healthcare sectors while working closely with select portfolio companies. Before starting at HBS, she was building a health tech startup, Baby Chakra, one of India's largest pregnancy and parenting platforms. Super cool. Now, let's talk about Rashvina. Rashwina is currently a second-year student at Harvard Business School. She has spent the last year working as an investment associate for Catapult BC, launching their very first Africa Accelerator program in early 2022. She's passionate about improving gender representation among decision makers and funding recipients in BC, as well as driving social impact through innovation in Africa. She spent the summer of 2020 working for Nigeria-based early-stage fund Future Africa and professional English platform Slang. Her prior venture experiences include Pair VC and Compass VC. Previously, she spent four years in equity capital markets at Citigroup in New York and London, covering a number of sectors and regions, including fintech, consumer retail, Americas, and France. Rashvina and Anvita met at Harvard Business School and were sharing the same passion around increasing representation of women in the investor community. In 2022, only 12% of all decision makers at VC firms were women, and most funds still don't have any female partners. And that needs to change. And we'll be spending some time talking about exactly that today. And Vita and Roshvina, welcome. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for having Thank us. You. Of course. Really of nice. Course. Yeah, yeah. I'm so, so excited. I just love your podcast, and I had the opportunity to chat with Roshvina early last year and it's just it's just a bit surreal honestly for talking to the two of you because like <laughs> I I've been listening to the both of you and I feel like you're like close friends to me because I've been familiar with your voices for such a long time so it's incredible that this has worked out so thank you so much for taking the time to to be on the show fun to be on the other side of the table and hear yeah. your introduction when you're the one introducing so many of your guests it's for sure. <laughs> of course, of course. I mean, you're, you're pros at this point. You know exactly what it's like to be the one asking all the questions. So I, I'm, I'm sure it's fun to be on the other side of things. Whenever I get to do podcast interviews for other podcasts, it's kind of fun. So no, amazing. Looking forward to this conversation. Well, look, as you know, 
this podcast is all about helping women build wealth, not only for themselves, but also for other women. And because increasing women's visibility is absolutely critical when it comes to wealth building, I always start out by asking my guests this question first. Who is a woman that you admire and why? This can be a female founder, investor, professor, small business owner, activist, doesn't really matter. And Veda, do you want to kick us off? I'd be happy to. So two names come to my mind when I hear this. One is a cliche probably, um, but my mom... Um, and my elder sister, I think they come closest to being anything but but with like hardcore role models to for me to see what fearless life could be and what independence and being able to drive decisions for her own life can be. My mom has worked all her life. She's always been this really independent woman taking a lot of decisions back home and continues to be. So she's the first one that comes to my mind, obviously paired with my elder sister, who have mostly followed steps on. And it's been amazing too have somebody in that position for me. Um, the other one that comes to my mind is actually Michelle Obama. I've, I've followed her, obviously, from a distance to understand her journey and what she stands for, what she believes in. I've followed her through her books, through a few of the documentaries that she's appeared in. And I think it's incredible of people like her to acknowledge the position of power that they're in and how to rightly use that power to go out and empower others and and hence be the the actual cause of change and drive it as as you grow. So yeah, I think those two sets of people come to mind when when you ask me who's my role model. Love that, Anvita. You are actually the second person to mention Michelle Obama and their mom on this podcast. So I absolutely love it. And I couldn't agree, <laughs> agree more. Rishvina, what about you? I I mean, as you might have expected, it's really funny, but my mom and my sister are also on the personal side. I think my mom has taught me to be incredibly patient. Growing up, you don't really realize the value of that, but I think as I've gotten older, that's definitely something that's come in handy. Uh, my sister has just really kept me grounded and she's just super cool. So I think both of them have been great role models in my life. On the more professional side, and I was thinking a lot about this. And for me, honestly, there's so many women and, and a lot of them around my age, peers in the industry that always carve out time whenever I have a question, whenever, you know, I need some insights. I'm currently in the process of graduating, thinking about next steps. And every time I'm emailing someone and I'm going to take some names of people who've been particularly super helpful to me. So Ashley Aiden at Famos Ventures. Every time I text her, she's so happy to just spare 30 minutes, talk to me out of her really busy day. Senefer Mendoza, who was also, and they were both on our podcast, and I've met her in Boston. She's invited me to great events and really kept me in the Boston VC ecosystem. So I think there are multiple women out there who just make it a point to be helpful. And for me, those are the ones I probably respect and admire the most. I love that. And and if I can come up with a theme for every single woman that both of you were mentioning, Michelle Obama, but also your family members and then, you know, mentors and sponsors for you, Rashmina, all of them are women who have paved the way for future generations of women. And I think that's just so incredibly important. There's still so much work that needs to be done, not only in the world of investing and, and wealth creation, but in the world 
as a whole. And oftentimes we see women being in competition with one another just because oftentimes there is not as many spaces reserved for women, right? But I think it's become increasingly important for women to create opportunities for other women as well. And that's why I loved your examples. All right, let's let's pivot a little bit. Would love to take a couple of steps back and learn more about your friendship. How did the two of you meet at Harvard Business School and become friends? So coincidentally, we actually met for the first time while doing an online VC course. I think it was with, I forgot, was it Kaufman? Yeah, I think it was the Kaufman Fellows program. It was a free summer program. A number of HBS students had posted on Slack being like, hey, should we make teams? And that's how we got to know of each other um, and started talking around, you know, our, our interest in VC. And I think it was Anvita who brought it up or we just like ended up on the stats. I didn't know much about the stats until I started exploring VC as a career. So I was shocked and also curious as to why that was the situation, what could be done about it. And I think it was Anvita who brought up the podcast. And I think the podcast was a collaboration. But once we got on campus, we also spent more time together. I would stop by her dorm. She would make me food. And we would just have some relaxing time after classes, after a long week. And I think that's really was how our friendship really blossomed during the first year, for sure. Exactly. Like we actually met before our school started in the first place. It was a friendship meant to be in a lot of ways. And like Rishina said, like we really clicked on where we both were interested in exploring the VC space. And I've done it in the past. So I was aware that women are far too few, like literally you can count them on your fingertips almost. But looking at it globally, that being the case was surprising to me as well. And then how there was this gap of thinking that people just weren't aware of how to break it, it break into the into the system and how that there was only a certain path through which you can get in, which wasn't entirely true. So yeah, we we got connected on this common theme of ours, but we also connected as people and we kept, yeah, kept in touch. Like she said, we hung out quite a bit. That's how we actually met and continue being awesome friends. Love that. And oftentimes the best ideas are the results of just spending time with someone and bonding over shared experiences, shared perspectives, and trying to focus on solving a pain point that, you know, the broader society has identified as one, right? So so I love that. And you already started answering my next question partly, which was around your thought process around starting the podcast in the first place. Can you take us back to the early days? I have a lot of friends and coworkers, mentees and mentors who always ask me like, I've been thinking about starting a podcast myself, but it seems so challenging. But nowadays, honestly, with all the amazing technology that we have at our disposal, it's not really that difficult anymore. So tell us a little bit more about the early, early stages when you're still physically together in Boston. Yeah, I remember the first thing about how we got to thinking that we should do a podcast was how once we established that there needs to be done something and something about the fact that people need awareness and mentorship and guidance on just decoding the VC industry and how it is different to be a woman in the space, but then how to make sure that you still succeed and feel equipped enough to want to do that. 
I think the the podcast as a as a solution came into picture when we realized that me and Rashina can only speak to so many people one at a time. And in in all honesty, that's not a scalable solution, quote unquote. So we needed something which people will engage more on and we can actually spread it to masses very quickly. Written format was one option where we could do emailers, we could write some blog posts and stuff, but I don't read blog posts and that's what we agreed on as well. Like, I'm not sure if that's going to pick up that well. But then real life conversations with people who have done it was something that we both had this aha you know, moment on where we were like, this will actually be amazing for not just her and me to know and you know admire the amazing journeys that people have gone through, but should be super helpful for people who want to walk into into those shoes and steps and and just hear from the horse's mouth and how they've done it. So that's how the idea that we should do podcasts came into picture. And I remember when we met at school, we actually would go down at certain spots in campus to actually get some pictures clicked and then post it out for our HBS newsletter, who had happily agreed to cover us. And yeah, that's how we continued to grow. Joshina brought some amazing equipment, the mic and the setup. She, in fact, figured out most of the tech- technical stuff that we did, like which websites to host it on, how to distribute on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and how else to tap into more guests. So yeah, I think it organically kept growing. And with each new content, we were re-energized every time because each conversation was was so refreshing and, and so motivating in itself that we wanted to keep going. And yeah, I think we're close to 100 episodes in today and we're, we're not planning to stop anytime soon. Yeah, and I mean, she said everything. And on the process part, I remember, you know, I had never done, obviously, a podcast before. I had listened to a few. So I basically went on a podcast 101 website and learned about all the tech equipment that I need. In terms of getting people on the show, honestly, one of the perks of being at, in such a huge community at HBS is we just emailed everybody we knew had some kind of VC experience and the responses were great. I don't think we got anyone who said no. If they were busy, they would tell us to reach out again later. But Seeing that level of response and on top of that, the fact that they would not just come and and do the episode, but they would also suggest people and future guests, it created this really big network effect. And that's when we realized this is something that, you know, we can keep doing for a while. There are a lot of women out there and we want to make sure this database keeps getting filled out. I I love that. And I can only imagine, especially at at a place like Harvard with a lot of really bright people, well-connected people, people who are a couple of years into their careers, right? And then we haven't even touched on faculty and staff members, right? Because I, I remember you also interviewed a couple of professors and you're covering a very wide and diverse range of, of women, starting with interns all the way up to, to partners of funds. And I know I'm going a little bit off script here, but did you sort of become like campus celebrities after you had published a couple of episodes with your classmates and professors? Be like, hey, I just listened to the most recent episode. That was awesome. Talk me through what, what, what happened post-launch within your community. I think the article was definitely a good way to gain visibility. Not celebrity, but I mean, everybody is so exceptional here. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough to be a celebrity. But I did get a lot of people in my classes, you know, just coming up to me and be like, hey, you host a podcast, right? Like I was listening to it the other day. So 
there's a level of recognition that you get. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up the faculty point. I do want to give a shout out to Professor Mugford and Professor Busgang, who have honestly just given us so many resources to work with and so many of their own connections. And it has been incredible. Love that. Love that. And yeah, shout out to all the professors out there. I, I am also very fortunate to be part of a very tight-knit campus community with Duke and all of my professors have been so, so helpful over the years. If you could pick anyone to interview for your podcast, who would be your dream guest to bring on the show? You know, I was thinking about this and you said, and I don't know if it's good or bad, but no name popped in my head right away. I want to believe it's, it's probably good. So two things there. One, we've actually had some really amazing guests. We've been really fortunate to have some awesome guests like Mar Henderson from Perry C. We've had Pocket Sun from SoGal. We've had Christian Muckford, who Rashina just mentioned. We have a wish list, of course, like we want to bring Eileen Lee from Cowboy. And I, I don't think it's going to be that hard, like what Rashina was mentioning earlier about actually being privileged and fortunate to be able to reach out with the network that we've been able to garner. I think I have a persona of a dream guest, which is what came to my mind when I read this question. And the personas we want to truly bring out stories of are people who've actually had not the most straightforward career to jump into VCs. I'm the culprit myself, but a very standard track of doing, say, consulting or investment banking for a few years and then moving to kind of, you know, maybe doing early stage investing or, or doing a little bit of operator roles and then going to a B school and then moving into VCs has been one of the most standard tracks that we have followed. We want some really cool unseen paths that we can cover and actually make it a point that you can enter VCs no matter where your profession has taken you so far. But if startups interest you, if you really enjoy connecting with founders, VC role can totally be a fit for you and we can bring out stories more about it. Completely echo this. Like you said, we've been fortunate to have some exceptional women on the show. And others I can think of, Eileen, Sonia Perkins from Broadway Angels, you know, and we're really hoping to have them in the next couple months. I think from my perspective, a completely out of the box and cool person to have would be Serena Williams, you know, like she just started her fund. Talk about non-typical route into VC. I just think it'd be really cool. And I love watching tennis, so. Look, <laughs> if I can add one of those Ra most random names, Kim Kardashian, why not? She just started a fun with the Carlyle guy. <laughs> Love all the ideation that is happening here on, on the podcast live as we speak. Totally agree. You're mentioning Pocket Sun. I have such a woman crush on her and Elizabeth. Actually, like I'm trying to get Elizabeth to join the podcast because we have a mutual connection, just got connected. So working working on that. But I love what they've built with SoGal. It's one of the very first female-founded funds who were focusing on investing in female and diverse founders that I've come across when I started being interested in all of this a couple of years back. They're just doing incredible work and have yielded an exceptional ROI for their LPs as well. Serena Ventures, oh my goodness. I mean, that woman's crushing it. I also read them when she was announcing her involvement from tennis that she was going to focus a little bit more on on the investment side of of things which i think she had been doing already on the side for a couple of years but she wants to hone in on that in in the future i mean kim kardashian i think lots to lots to unpack there um for sure let's shift the conversation a little bit ladies because 
a lot of our audience members are actually young women in their 20s and early 30s. A lot of them have full-time jobs. A lot of them work in tech full-time. Others work in social impact. And so part of my role with Give Her Dollars has really been to educate women on all things investing, but also to bring them closer to the whole topic of venture capital, but also angel investing. So I think there's this untapped opportunity of exposing a wide group of women with the knowledge and access to start investing on the side, for example, as angel investors, and hopefully eventually to to join as a limited partner for a fund or a syndicate, something along those lines. Do you have any any recommendations on how our audience can get started with that? Any go-to resources that have helped you specifically that you could could share? From an angel investing perspective, more often than not, your peer network might have founders in it. And I would say it is if you have capital to deploy and there is a founder in your circle looking to raise an angel round, that's one great way to get exposure early on to investing opportunities. So tap into that network. And that can be your personal network, network at work, your network through your school. A lot of schools have alumni communities that remain really active. And I think a lot of deals come out of those. So I would say that's one way to be involved. And then in terms of other resources, I mean, there are a lot of alternative fundraising platforms now, like Republic is one of them. There are also some that are more dedicated to minorities and women. So Cap Table Coalition is one of those. And I think Golden Seeds also is targeting women. So I think there are a lot of opportunities out there. It's just a question of looking at what is most easily available to you. I completely agree. And I would just add to it maybe a name or two in terms of the tools. But I think being cognizant of the reason why you're getting into an angel investing to begin with, like if you have spare dollars and you're just looking to learn in the business, that's one thing. Versus if you're putting in your hard-earned dollars or wherever you've gotten it from to actually gain returns and bank on that. Um, that's a whole different game altogether. I think investing on the side as an angel is totally cool. You cannot do an, one investment a year and expect that to 5x your money or 10x your money. It's a game of probability. Only one in 10 or one in 15 startups will actually succeed. So for you to find that one, by probabilities, you have to invest in 15 a year if you're actually using that as a vehicle to get some returns for yourself. So just kind of be cognizant of the expectation that you're going in with. And then once you have it, to Rashmina's point, there are a bunch of tools available that way. Like AngelList is the most popular, which helps you manage most of your finances. And then also has like this where you can look at startup opportunities to invest in. You can tap into a bunch of syndicates. You can just be like, I can invest up to $5,000. And they can keep giving you deals and you can evaluate a deal by deal basis. Just be sure of why you're doing it and, and be sure of what to really expect if you're actually engaging into this. Absolutely. I love that you, that you mentioned Republic. I've shared that platform with my community before. 
obviously there's some pros and cons. Like I was just having a conversation with another founder the other day. Oftentimes they're really good deals. You know, they don't even get posted on these platforms, right? Because they're just like snatched up by the big firms quickly. But I think it's a great, great starting point to just get into the habit. And like if you invest, let's say, as little as 50 or 100 bucks, you know, you're not gonna gonna lose a fortune, but just to play around with emotions and learn how to dissect all of the information, analyze an early stage company and and build your portfolio slowly over time without breaking the bank. That's very high risk investment to invest in startups, even if it's just a little bit of money. It's definitely a numbers game. I would think you will probably agree with me on this one, but to to an outsider, and I would consider myself an outsider because I've never officially worked in NBC before. To me, this whole world seems to just be very exclusive. You know, opportunities within BC, we know mainly white men. There are more and more women, but even there, the diversity is lacking oftentimes, right? Especially when it comes to getting women into decision-making roles and, and, and partner seats. How can we make these opportunities more accessible to women who might not be as privileged or well-connected? Again, the three of us, we are very connected just because we went to really, really good schools, right? And we have some very well-known brands on our resumes, and that has allowed us to make these incredibly valuable connections and access those networks, access that, that knowledge. But how can we extend that privilege to, to more women who are not as fortunate as us? Before I jump onto this specific question of yours, I want to lay the context that this industry is inaccessible or less accessible relative to other industries for everyone. I mean, yes, it just so happens that we as potentially less privileged group of class, we get hit the most. But for what it's worth, I think recruiting in this industry by default is just broken. There's very little official recruiting. They don't hire in bulk or for high volume. So by default, it's a very network heavy game for you to break in for anyone like a guy, girl, whatever background you come with and all of that put together. So that's the nature of the industry. And to begin with, just let's accept that and then build on top of it. So on that, to your point, I think uh, two things that we've repeatedly heard, interestingly, on our show as well, and has worked for us when we've tried our bit in the industry is one, just network heavily out of the interest of truly being a good investor once you break in. And I think the intention of that whole exercise, which can be draining, by the way, doesn't need to be that you are just doing it to get in, get your foot in the door or get an interview or make it in. Just acknowledge that this is going to be the nature of your job even once you make an investor. And for you to be a good investor, you need to be, if not outspoken, like very comfortable talking about the ideas that you have, about opinions that you have about industries and sectors and what thesis is that you're building on and founders that you're following and talking to, etc. Um, so almost try to start doing the job before you have to do the job to begin with. And that brings me to my second point, which is use that as an asset to start networking and talking to people. And just be very open and quote-unquote shameless about it. Like just have a very, very guided opinion about why the automation industry will be your next big thing. Have 10 startups on the back of your envelope and just have a very solid thesis around it and just be very comfortable sharing it out, even in cold emails to be like, hey, I've been following the automation industry and I think 
I would soon create in the VC industry and followed your portfolio companies. And I believe that this could be great sets of addition if you think about expanding your scope and things like that. And just just get at it, put your head down, find the list of investors who you think you'd work well with and just do the homework and start reaching out. Like I can bet my money on the table for this if you don't hear back, if your thesis is genuinely solid because there is lack of, and I wouldn't say lack as in lack, but like there can be more of those research heavy focused individuals in the ecosystem who who know what they're doing, who are passionate about actually being great investors. And if you have it, you can you can actually break it in. Absolutely agree with everything Anvita said. I think doing the work before you do the work is a big part of VC. Um and we've had people from, you know, very different backgrounds and including schools on the podcast as well. And even in my network, when I talk to people, it seems like everybody adopts the strategy because it is true, this industry itself is small. So when you are going through a hiring process for a small industry, you have to showcase certain value adds. So there's a lot more work that goes into that. And for context, for a little bit more context around hiring and the small industries, usually VCs will hire when they're they just raised a fund. And assuming they raise a fund every two to three years, there's just not that many people that get hired every time they raise a fund. So with that context, I think it is really important to just have an opinion. And you don't have to be right. There are a lot of people who build thesis around something that has completely fallen apart. If you talk to VCs who are hiring, they really want to see that you're putting thought into it. They want to see that you can you know what process looks like. You're not just, you know, showing up and hoping that your past experience or some broad level thought is going to help you get a foot in the door. So they're just trying to see how you think and how you act. So I would say really double down on that. Every now and then I see deep dives of people blow up on, on LinkedIn or Twitter. There is one by Megan Loist, who's the founder of Gen Z VCs, you, you've probably heard of her. Um, she did one recently on the metaverse and completely blew up, basically. Uh, obviously, she was already well-established, but I'm actually currently taking a Maven course with Megan on the whole topic of, of VC. And she was really recommending to people, similar to what you were just saying, to put yourself out there, even like cold email fund partners or investors at... Uh, firms that you might be interested in because their stage or their investment focus aligns with your personal interests and and share some of these deep dives and like analysis on a specific industry or on a specific company with them because it is a lot of work but it can certainly pay off and that that way you can prime people ahead of when they're about to raise a new fund and they might open up a couple of headcounts in the not so distant future so so I love that and Vida, you were mentioning earlier that one of your goals for the future with your podcast is that you want to highlight less traditional paths of people, how they got into the investment community. Do you have any advice for women who want to break into VC? You know, both of you ended up in B school and I know, Vida, you already had previous experience at Sequoia and pair and obviously Rashvina, you didn't go blindly into this business school experience either but what are alternative paths for people to end up VC 
as opposed to what you were describing earlier, and better starting out in investment banking or in consulting, then serving your, I don't know, two to four years, then going to a prestigious business school and then hoping to be recruited by one of the alumni of your business school? I would say actually, especially for the more deep tech VCs or the biotech or the healthcare ones, being an operator can be a big plus. And it is something we've seen with a number of people we interviewed. You know, they didn't do banking, they didn't do consulting. They worked for a bunch of startups, different stages. And, you know, and they wanted to see what the other side looks like. And they bring that value out of knowing how a business is run from the early stages to potentially growth or even better, they've gone through a failed startup so they know what actually doesn't work. So I think being an operator is also a great way to break into the industry from my perspective. I can't agree more. Like my personal take is operators make the best investors. But I would call out and and just like my th thinking about the industry in general is that for good or for bad, there aren't very specific skill sets that you need to be a great investor technically like you don't need to learn coding or you don't need to learn math or you don't need to know specifics on astronomy or whatever uh, unless to Rashvina's point earlier if you're doing deep tech or if you're doing something very hardcore in biomedics or something there isn't a set of skill sets that you need to pass on quote unquote and make a great investor so I've seen actually all kinds of paths where folks have made it into VCs and are doing great like a bunch of operators who've turned investors because they have done the grid themselves and they know what it takes to build a company and hence, you know, they empathize with founders amazingly well. I've also known folks who have only done investing all their life, say right out of a couple of years out of college, doing something for, for a couple of years from undergrad, but then finding their way into VCs, uh, getting hits from different places, like starting really small at small, very small venture funds, small shops, small uh, family offices for all it took, but then graduated upwards and are now running some really successful funds and have done really well for themselves because all they know and all they know well is investing. So I think the core question to hence ask is, is this a job that you'd really like? And be, be true and real about it. And if you do, I think there is no one path for you to be able to make a great investor. Like you keep doing that, you keep doing what you really like. And if it turns out that you're either good at it or you hone your skills to keep, your, keep getting better with each new deal, I think you're set. So just just kind of ask yourself if this this work is for you. And just just to call out, it is not for everyone. Like it is glorified, and it's we we think about it as one of the best possible jobs. Yes, I love it. Yes, I know Rashvina does, and I'm sure Tamina, you have some affinity in some capacity as well. But yeah, not everyone may like it. So just be real about it, and you should be able to break in. That's a great segue to my next question, Anvita. Obviously, you've pivoted a little bit. You're still doing the podcast, but now you work in product management full-time. Both of you have experience working in VC, and you're just mentioning it is not for, for everyone, right? Is there anything in particular that surprised you compared to the initial expectations you had? going into your first VC experience? So many. <laughs> Do tell. Um, <laughs> I think just to name a few, one, it's, 
and and I think it's super biased opinion, of course, because it's my my personal biases on what I really like, what interests me, and things like that. But putting uh, on top of that, I think the first thing that was a shocker to me was I came out of consulting, working at BCG, and I'd worked in like large teams with twenty twenty five people working on a single project together as a team. Versus when I joined my fund uh, Sequoia, we were in total in Mumbai office, the team of eight or nine people, and I was among one among the two analysts, and I was thrown into the ocean to be independent from day one to lead, say, sector thesis or, or come up with how to do due diligence on some of the live deals that we were evaluating and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I think that was one of the first things that was something that I hadn't expected, that you will be very much independent. There will, by, by virtue of being less people, there would not be a lot of, you know, coaching or people to work with. So you need to kind of get used to that, you know, loneliness or lonely job uh, in a way. And I think the second thing that came back the prize was that nine out of 10 deals get thrown out of the IC just like that. So you you may do a lot of work on so many deals and then you may not get to writing the check uh, after all. And you just need to be comfortable with it. Like you need to know that things will, will take time to, you know, do the investment. And then there will continue to be a lot of work post-investment as well for you to really make real money. So yeah, I think there are aspects of the job which will be new to you, which will come as a surprise to you. What kept me going and why I know I will eventually converge back into investing is because I love interacting with founders. I love being thought partners to them, helping them in building some you know, really successful, impactful businesses. And yeah, I think you just have to find what keeps you going if, if it does. And there will be a lot of shockers on the way that you have to absorb. I went in with no expectations. So for me, a lot was new. I think the one thing that I do echo with Anvita, she was in consulting, I was in banking. Big companies, big teams. And then you get thrown into a five-person team and you have to learn to start things on your own, to lead things on your own, and to be accountable for actual decisions that are being made. Like very important decisions that are being made, like with an IC or, you know, building a cohort for an accelerator program, which I had experience with. I think the, the few things that like really surprised me was how willing founders and other investors are to talk to you there's a lot of information sharing in vc which i was i was relatively surprised by because you would think it's a very competitive and it is but there's also a lot of collaboration that happens like a lot of deal sharing that happens a lot of info sharing and so i i really like that and it was a surprise to me the other thing is founders really look up to you to a certain level for even if you can't provide them with capital that is almost this for me. I felt that I need to at least connect them to other people in my network or resources, especially the ones you've interacted with a couple of times. So you are actually a big resource. And for me, going into VC, I guess I was thinking, you know, more of the finance side of things, but you're actually more of a wholesome resource. And that comes with a lot of responsibilities. And it is one aspect of the job, like that I really liked. I love interacting with founders. I've had exclusively early stage VC experience, and I think I'm going to stick to early stage VC. And one big reason is I, you know, love having founder calls. I have five founder calls tomorrow afternoon. 
30 minutes <laughs> founder calls and they're all completely different companies. I'm really excited for all of them. I think it really made the experience so much more fun for me. That sounds so interesting because really any day in the life of a professional investor, VC, especially with early stage companies, looks completely different depending on the type of founder, the type of company you you talk to that day. Obviously, there's some internal facing uh, work convincing your partners that the steel you sourced is a good one and write that check. But I guess it's also then difficult to to turn that off, right? Because your ideas of probably, okay, like I came across this article and let me write a quick email to this founder or I just met this person, I need to connect them with X, Y, right? So the work never, never ends, but it's also very engaging. You meet tons of really, really smart and ambitious people. So also incredibly rewarding. Well, look, ladies, we're coming up on time. I have one final question for the both of you. I don't only like to always start out with the same question, but I also like to close with the same question for each of my guests. If I gave each of you a million dollars to invest in either a company or a cause that would benefit women, where would you invest? Rashmina, do you want to kick us off? Sure. So when I saw this question, I wasn't really thinking company. I was thinking definitely more on the cause side. And when I was in college, I... I went to Hamilton in upstate New York. And at the time when I was there, we didn't have a finance club. And I felt that there was this big information gap, which, you know, you're not a star school as, you know, like an Ivy League. So you don't get as much exposure, for example, on Wall Street. So you have to build a lot of that. And the finance club became this huge info resource and alumni, you know, outreach resource. And I think if I had money, I would try to build something similar, but for women who are trying to get into the investing world. And I would try to do it as early as possible. So a lot of women don't hear about VC until they're like almost graduating from college, a lot of them after college. And I feel like if you could have programs, you know, there's the Wall Street prep that they do for investment banking preparation. If you can have even some level of exposure to the industry, learn what it takes to be a VC early on when you're a sophomore or a junior, that would be something I'd be really interested in investing in. And I think maybe that's a way to help more women break into VC as well, is just get them exposed as early as possible. I, I think that's wonderful. And what I was going to say is, a, is a, I wouldn't say a subset, but almost like a similar set, where what I was coming from was trying to empower women to be able to make a decision for themselves. And where I come from in India, I know a lot of pockets in the country where basic education needs access to capital to scale out. And there are a bunch of organizations that are working towards that, like exclusively on education and healthcare for young kids, especially girls, who are the first victims to get dropped out of school if families aren't able to afford it, which is extremely common. So we do work with a couple of nonprofits back home called Pratham and and try CRY. And I know they're doing an amazing job in terms of the network they've built and the kind of work they're doing. So yeah, I feel like because you pointedly asked on trying to, you know, do something that will help women. I think if you give basic education to women, which empowers them to make just good decisions for themselves, whatever fits, you know, them in their life, I think I'd be really happy to be a part of that. 
amazing answers, you two. And I couldn't imagine any better words to end this this episode on. Thank you so much, Anvita and Rashvina, for for taking the time out of your busy days to have this wonderful conversation with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for all the incredible work that you do to create visibility for women in this space and to provide education and access to the world of venture capital. It's it's greatly appreciated and just love what you do. Thank you for having us. Of course. Thank you so much. It was a great conversation. Hey there, not so fast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you've listened in from today. Reviews are a podcaster's most important currency. It helps me create visibility for the incredible women who join me on this show. And if you've made it this far, I'd like to believe that supporting women is one of your favorite pastimes. If you already left a review, first of all, thank you, but why not share this episode with a friend or post it to your Instagram story? Thank you for helping me on my mission to make women rich by making women rich.